The Public News Service Daily Newscast, January 31st, 2023. I'm Mike Clifford. The Cleveland Police Department implemented a new policy in 2021 for interacting with young people. It calls on officers to take into consideration the child's age and developmental capacity. But our Nadia Ramligan reports body cam footage reveals officers don't always follow those department guidelines. Among several videos analyzed by the Marshall Project Cleveland and Eye on Ohio, one shows an eight-year-old boy with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder being handcuffed by police and an officer asking him if he wanted to be, quote, strapped down. Under department policy, there is no minimum age for a child to be handcuffed. Lisa Thoreau with the nonprofit Strategies for Youth says fueling these types of interactions are exhaustion and burnout, dislike of dealing with children, and a lack of comprehensive crisis training. Until we make clear what our expectations are, we're going to see officers expressing frustration and thinking that kids as young as eight are intentionally behaving in certain ways instead of understanding that this is a manifestation of a disability or a mental health crisis. Between February 2020 and April 2022, Cleveland police responded to 268 calls involving children under age 13. Nadia Ramlagan reporting. This story, a joint project with the nonprofit The Marshall Project Cleveland and I in Ohio, and the collaboration produced in association with Media and the Public Interest, funded in part by the George Gunn Foundation. And new funds will help plug oil and gas wells that have been abandoned in the Keystone State and should boost the region's economy in the process. More now from our Daniel Smith. It's a big job since there are about 8,900 so-called orphan wells in the state, according to the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection. The state has been awarded 25 million federal dollars as part of the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Ted Bettner with the Ohio River Valley Institute says the bids have closed on five projects to plug 79 wells, totaling about $5.8 million. And the average cost per well is about 74 thousand dollars, which is about six thousand more than the uh, Pennsylvania DEP originally estimated. Uh, and they're also looking at uh, additional wells to plug. So they'll be putting more invitations to qualify and more bids out soon for companies to bid on to plug wells. And from CNBC, the Biden administration plans to end the COVID public health emergency this spring, which will mark a major turning point in the U.S. response to the pandemic. The White House said on May 11 it would terminate the public health and national emergencies that the Trump administration declared in 2020. This is Public News Service. Southern Oregon continues to recover from the fires of 2020 and grants are helping residents in the region. The details now from our Eric Tegetoff. The Almeida fire in Jackson County devastated the towns of Talent and Phoenix. About 1,700 manufactured homes were destroyed, and more than half of those homes were in communities for people aged 55 and older. Many of those folks are still displaced. AARP Oregon has donated $10,000 to Firebrand Resiliency Collective to help with recovery. Tucker Toich heads the organization and says there are a number of barriers to recovery for older residents. We experienced this fire on top of COVID and its own supply chain issues, but also the largest building supply price bubble that I think any of us have ever seen. So that income disparity in that community really prevented people from being able to purchase new homes or build new homes. 
Toich says disability is another barrier for folks, both of which were struggles for older Oregonians. And a Utah lawmaker has proposed a bill that would impose stricter restrictions and regulations for public employees. Passage of House Bill 241, sponsored by Republican Representative Jordan Tesher, would mean union stewards and leaders wouldn't be allowed paid time to engage in union work. It would prohibit a public employer from deducting union dues from a public employee's wages and prohibit public money or public property to be used for union organizing or administration. Shelley Bilbury has been an employee of Salt Lake City for almost two decades. She's been a member of her union for the last 16 years and has been a union steward for the last eight. She says in her opinion, the provisions mean Utah labor unions are in for the fight of their lives. A union member cannot do any union business whatsoever in a public building. That right there pretty much, you know, puts a kibosh on on the union. I'm Alex Gonzalez reporting. And finally, for the second time in nearly a decade, North Dakota is considering changes to a long-standing law that blocks corporate ownership of farms. Governor Doug Burgum's administration is behind the proposed changes, arguing the state isn't competitive in livestock production. The bill would add exemptions for certain feedlot operations. North Dakota Farmers Union President Mark Watney says not only would it deplete the number of independent producers around the state, but it also pushes profits to out-of-state companies. He says there should instead be focus on solutions within North Dakota state lines. What we need to do is build processing plants. We need to find markets. We need to shore up the supply chain where our farmers and ranchers can make a little bit more money, and then we will grow animals in the state. I'm Mike Moen. This is Mike Clifford, Ford Public News Service, member and listener supported. Here are some radio stations, big and small, your favorite podcast platform, and find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org.